Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament Lectionary Podcast for preachers and teachers. My name is Paul Assan. I'm a PhD student at Yale University in Hebrew Bible. And I'm Rosie Candlethal, and I am a PhD candidate uh, in Hebrew Bible at Emory University. I am also a Louisville Institute Teaching Fellow at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. Our co-hosts, the Reverend Dr. Rachel Wren and Dr. Tim McNinch, are off this week. But we, friends, are here with you. It is a new year, and rightly so, we are beginning with a passage that embodies themes of new beginnings. We have preaching tips and insights for you for this Sunday, January 7th, 2024. Genesis 1 is our passage with this very familiar account, Genesis 1 verses 1 through 5. And Paul this is on you. So what do you want to say about this foundational text? <laughs> yeah, what more can I say, Rosie, about a text that is overwhelmingly famous? <laughs> Genesis 1, right? <laughs> I sincerely have no other thoughts that I don't think is already out there, but I don't think that a refresher or a reminder would be a bad idea. So let's do some reminding at least. Um, and I'm going to offer five points, five different things, and maybe offer a preaching tip and then a pitfall towards the end of the podcast today. So the first thing that I have to say is really small, but uh, I think Genesis 1 and also Genesis 2, as we know, both of them are creation narratives, right? right? They talk about the beginning of everything, right? The beginning of the world, the beginning of life, the beginning of existence, right? There is nothing before this text. It is the beginning of all text in the mm -hmm. Bible. And it begins with the word beginning. Right. And it tells the story of the beginning of all things. So I am hoping that we can take a good breath mm. here and celebrate the beginning of new things uh, using a text that begins uh, a series of texts in a very large book called the Hebrew mm. Bible and celebrate the new year, right? 2024. Here we are, first Sunday. Right. There's you that know. spirit of resetting, renewal that you're kind of setting here with Genesis 1. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly what I mean. Um, the second probably interesting thing for me is just the structure and the, the flow of the text, right? Uh, it, it begins with a circumstance. When God began to create the world, or in the beginning, God created right it, it begins with that circumstance setting the the stage and then moves on to chaos mm -hmm. there's formlessness and there's darkness and there's the chaotic winds and then there is a resolution which is caused by god's speech mm -hmm. right where god says let there be light you know i think that kind of like uh the flow of the narrative is like just so beautiful um right there is also the, the, the kind of things that are being created, right? The there is the heavens and the earth at the beginning of one, and then there is uh, darkness and light, and then the creating of evening and morning in verse five. You know, just the foundational things, the sort of building blocks upon which everything emerges. So it's a just really catchy uh, way of telling a story about about a thing as important as the world. Right, you know? through images and through this like gorgeous evocative uh, depiction that you're kind of inviting us to renew our imagination around, right? So 
the beginning of the world is material and it's light and it's these kind of basic elements that we can take for granted, but are the signal of something fresh, uh, of something that we are kind of um, listening with with opened ears to. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's that's super beautiful. <laughs> but the, another question, another thought that I had, which is really a question of like, who is doing the creation? Mm. You know, in the English, it says God, which is what we all see and assume to be like God as reflects in other passages, both in the New Testament and the Old mm -hmm. Testament. But in the Hebrew, we have Elohim, not Yahweh. It's, it's, not the, it's not the proper name of the Israelite God. It's, it's Elohim. And as we know throughout the Hebrew Bible, Elohim is used for God. Indeed, I'm not denying that. But often the not, it also refers to non-Yahweh-like beings, like the other gods, like the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of all these other nations and things like that, right? So what is Genesis doing here? Um, and I don't have any clear thoughts. Um, I still think it is God doing the creation, but it's, I feel like it's a, a little bit of a play on words. It's, it's an invitation to a deeper study of who is doing the creation here. And so I thought maybe preachers like a wonderful word study of Elohim and Yahweh and, you know, the names of God and the person doing the creation in Genesis one, or probably even throughout Genesis will be just a wonderful intellectual exercise to pursue. I, I love the way that you are reminding me again of the Elohim, the plural there, because it also oh. reminds me of the play that's happening in Genesis 1 and 2. And even as I think about Eve and her um, statement at the beginning of chapter 4, when she conceives, yeah. she says, I have, yeah. I've, I've, I've acquired, I've created this man, yeah. you know, with God, right? So, I mean, in yes. that sense, you're kind of pointing to Creation is not a, a solo project, but Indeed. when we're talking about the cosmos, there is, a, you know, a, a multiple power there and even maybe yeah. an invitation for us to consider our role in the worlds yeah. that we are creating and a part of. We are a part of, of the creation. Yeah. So that's not just a one and done, right? The process yeah. of, of chapter one is what you're inviting me to kind of think about and maybe my ongoing role in the new year in creating the yeah. world that I want to be in and I want to share with the people and beings that I've come to love. Indeed, indeed. And I, and I think part of the, the command that God gives to, uh, to humans when, when he creates humans is like, go and make creation happen, like procreate yeah. and reproduce yourself and have dominion mm -hmm. and live in the world because I have made you in my image as the creator, right? Go and do likewise. So that's like a really uh, deep um, emphasis on the uh, collaborative project of creation, you know? And I, I truly love that. The other idea that I had was something in verse two, which is the earth was formless and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God hovered over the waters. Like the phrase, wind from mm -hmm. God. It's, it's not Ruach Adonai as we often see in, for example, prophetic literature, right? Or, or even in Deuteronomistic history. It, you know, it is Ruach Elohim. Mm -hmm. Again, the word Elohim shows up, right? And Ruach Elohim as a phrase, as a compound phrase, 
appears just about seven times in the Hebrew Bible. Um, and it functions pretty similarly to Ruach Adonai. You know, for example, in Exodus 31, verse 3, there's a, a guy who is endowed with artistic ability mm. and intelligence and knowledge to do all these sort of artistic work um, as part of the building of the of the temple, mm. right? You know, and 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 the text says the Ruach Elohim filled him up so that he has this like artistic mm. abilities to do the kinds of things mm -hmm. that he does, right? Um, Numbers twenty four, which is a very you know famous passage about Balaam and you know. Uh, he been like paid to uh, pronounce an oracle of domination and a curse upon Israel, but the ruach Elohim from God fills him up, and what he pronounces ends up being a blessing in instead of instead of a curse. So this sort of like indwelling and coming upon of the spirit of God, you know, repeats severally in First Samuel mm. ten, in Second Chronicles fifteen and twenty four performing actions and acts of God similar to the Ruach Adonai that we know. But it's just so interesting that it is not Ruach Adonai, but it's Ruach Elohim, mm. right? Close to that is, is what exactly it means for the Ruach Elohim to hover over the, the water surface, like Rakhaf, right? To hover, to move back and forth you know, for the purposes of creation. What exactly does that mean, right? What is it doing? And it's not clear, and there's so many interpretations out there. But knowing all that uh, the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, or the wind of God does in other passages that I've just outlined, you know, I'm inclined to believing that this is certainly a, like an impactful, you know, positive aspect of creation. Like the, it's the Ruach Elohim is, uh, is in, involved in the process of creation, uh, probably preparing the grounds for God's mighty speech, which comes in verse 3. It says, let there be light. And then, boom, the light shows up and creation begins the first day. Interesting thoughts, you know? <laughs> I, I just uh, love the image that you're painting too, because I have seen the translation of Rachaf as uh, brooding uh, kind of mm -hmm. a, but it's a, to me it evokes a femininity. So like I think of a of a hen over its eggs, you know that kind yeah, of. But it's an active. It's a warmth to the word too. Like there's a almost it I is. can feel a a warmth, a generativity, like a and but there's an Indeed. active stillness. Um, something that's like a I don't know what a waiting, but also like a yeah. a powerful waiting to me. So I, I think of even. Um, Rachaf with the, with the thought of a, a woman's pregnancy, right? The quickening of the womb, that yeah. kind of, as a hovering of life, that's just sort of like, Indeed. there's a long period of waiting. We don't know how long this uh, Ruach Adonai, um, uh, Ruach Elohim rather, uh, is ho yeah. hovering, as you say, but something, yeah. uh, something is waiting, like we're sort of in the wings yeah. for, for what you've, and, yeah. and you said the word of God now. The, the curtains yeah. are going to open up and we're going to see light. Like, yeah, it's incredible. Yes. I just think of like incubation. Yes. That's know? a great word, right? Yeah. yeah. Incubation, <laughs> yeah. brooding, like, yeah. Rachaf is just, it's just a, yeah, very evocative word. Very evocative word. Yeah. Two more thoughts before I go to my pit four. Is something about God's speech, right? In verse three, you know, God's speech barks the, the world. Like, you know, 
Prashid Bara Elohim. God creates the the world, but in in three, it, it's it's the speech. You know, let there be light, right? And then there was light, and then you know the same sort of uh, speech recurs in in six, and it recurs in nine, and it recurs in eleven. Same in fourteen, and twenty, and twenty four, and throughout the entire passage, God is making the world, or creating the world, or barring the world, right? But he's doing so with speech, with words, you know. It's forming the world by the power of his words. And I think that for me underscores the power and beauty of God's, you know, character, both his omnipotence, but also his creativity, right? Ability to create and make things uh, through speech. And I always wonder uh, how well we consider our own speech. What, what do we say about our lives and about the world? Um, do we extend God's power and beauty, you know, through our own speech? Or do we sort of destroy the beauty and power that God has made in our lives and in the world through our own speech, right? And I think this sort of thing leads me to my preaching, my preaching tip, probably mm -hmm. the, the key thing that I want to um, encourage preachers to think about closely here is sort of the juxtaposition between like formlessness and void and darkness in verse two and then light show on, showing up in verse three. And I don't know, but I feel like formlessness and darkness and void, uh, you know, perhaps, you know, it's very characteristic and descriptive of the, of the world last year, mm. right? Uh, thinking about 2023, like, and thinking here about uh, political coups in Niger and Gabon and, you know, Ukraine and Israel, uh, Ukraine and Russia. And then there's also Israel and Hamas and, you know, all the crises of mig migration and like homelessness across the world and all the chaos in the world. But I hope that like thinking about God creating beauty in the world through speech would encourage all of us preachers to form new beginnings this year through our speech, mm. you know, as beings who are created in the image of God, um, forming joy and calling for peace and hope and safety in a world that seems to be choking on chaos. Oh, wow. Yeah, choking on chaos. Uh, when you're inviting me also to think about the creative word, the generative possibility of word, yeah. as many of our preachers are, are, you know, so invested in the craft of of words, right? Of inspiring yeah. through speech, right action in the world, right? That's yeah. to me the invitation that you're you're putting me toward, and it is reminding me that uh, on this date, January seventh, you know, we talked about this. It's right after January sixth here in the United States that is ha has become a watershed moment, a reminder mm -hmm. of the kind of chaos mm -hmm. and disorder uh, to which we are prone. Uh, and I think which requires certain kind of vigilance as you're inviting us to think about the kind indeed, of speech we indeed. use, the, the actions we motivate through that speech uh, to take responsibility yes. and to yep. also remember that we share this power of speech with God and indeed. that like God, we have the power to create and to destroy and that with some prayerful, thoughtful, deliberate resolution in the beginning of this year to set a deeper recognition of the kind of power that my words have. That's right. That's right. That's right. I think of Paul here when he talks about like um, words with grace, right? 
words seasoned with grace, you know, and speaking those kinds of words out there. It's, it's a really powerful thing mm. to do. And, and it works for like, you know, those who are in church and out of church. Like positive speech is just a powerful thing to embody in your life throughout. But I have a pitfall. Good. Let's hear it. <laughs> and, and, and the pitfall here is, you know, it's really about like uh, interpretation, right? How, how, do we, how do we read the entirety of Genesis 1, really? Right? Is, is it the creation story or is it a creation mm. story? Um, and it's a, it's a really tough question to really like wrestle with. But uh, who, who really knows how exactly the world came to be, right? And, and I know people have read this as like a revelation of, of God about the world, a revelation from God about how the, the world came to be. And I also know that the kind of tensions that this passage creates when we think of it in light of uh, the scientific theory of evolution. Or even worse, when we think of creation stories in Genesis, both one and two, uh, considering, you know, it's ancient Near Eastern uh, background, right? The, the sort of creation stories that exist out there in Mesopotamia and things like that and the similarities between them and, you know, how it makes people feel about that. And I don't want to get into the debates of, uh, of all of that, but I guess what I'm saying here is that we should consider deeply what we mean when we read this as the creation story. Mm. And sometimes when we ask questions like this, people think, oh yeah, you are pushing back on the ability of God to create. Can God really create the world? And I, I'm not saying that. For me, it is not a question about what, whether God can create the world. It is a question of the claim that the passage makes about how God created the mm. world. And so that's what I want to push people to be sort of mindful of. I think it's really helpful, too, to kind of put that into context, right? As, as uh, people that teach the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, we put a lot of work mm -hmm. into showing how the creation story, a creation story that we see in Genesis is in conversation and drawing from the inspiration of cultures all around, right? And so right. our own creation story, and now I think we're talking about... Um, both this, the ancient ones that we've grown up with, but also yep. our own ongoing creations, our stories we tell about our families, the stories we tell about where we come from. All of these are also creation stories. So, I mean, I think they what are. you're inviting me to is to, to remember that there are multiple stories even for where I come from and what my family yeah. says we come from, right? So to recognize yes. that many of us narrate the story differently and we may take inspiration yeah. from the creation story, but that uh, it doesn't have to hold dominion as the only one or the final word on, uh, on how creation unfolds, right? It, it continues. Yeah. So I appreciate that yeah. so much. Thank you for, for the preaching points and for your deep insights into this foundational text. Uh, I know you thought you said you, you weren't going to say anything new, but I think <laughs> I found fresh inspiration here. And friends, I think I can speak confidently that you may have as well. So that may be a, a good place to leave our listeners. Thank you for your work on this passage, Paul. Amen on that. Amen on that. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, we hope you also found something helpful in our discussion today. Remember that you can find an episode on just about every passage in the lectionary by using the search box on our website at firstreadingpodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found us helpful, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you find us. Remember that our podcast is produced by Paul Essa, myself, Tim McNinch, and Rachel Wren. Until next time, 
I'm Rosie Candlepole. And I am Paulissa. Have a wonderful New Year's week. <laughs>